Anatomy Movie. It's mission to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. That's right. We're going to dissect Star Trek Beyond, and we're going to talk about cinematography, casting, story, and all that fun stuff. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back if you're a fan. Welcome for the first time if you're just joining us. We have Dimitri Panos on the panel returning in a sporting outfit. Hello, movie fans. Live long and prosper. And John Comerford. In a pseudo-coordinated outfit. <laughs> I'm Captain Kirk. Indeed. And I'm Phil Svitek. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. A uh, couple of things. If you guys are fans of the show, you know that we're very spoiler-filled. We assume yes. that you've seen the movie, so approach it from that perspective. Second, you can download our rundown in the descriptions. It has all of our notes and things like that, so you can follow along and, and see kind of the supplementary material that we don't always get to. And third, we're going to talk about Star Trek Beyond today. We'll also, you know, we'll tie it into the rest of the franchise, but fear not, fans. We will be doing a Star Trek 50th anniversary special so uh, you'll get all the Star Trek you ever wanted. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned for that. Definitely, and you can never want enough. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, let's start with Dimitri Panos, oh. arguably and unarguably mm-hmm. the biggest fan yeah, of certainly this panel of Star Trek. Oh, yeah. What did you think? Well, you know, it's going to be a little bit longer than our usual. I have a lot to say about this movie, mm. uh, about everything. But my, my thoughts took. A, I had to reel a lot in and think about this movie a lot. First off, I did think it was a blast. Uh, I thought the cast again really gels. Like since since the first Star Trek movie in two thousand and nine. Casting department did a great job putting these folks together. Uh, there were there was lots of humor in this movie. Uh, there were a lot of references to the original series and movies, um, but there have been a lot. If you've been reading the reviews on this particular movie, a lot of reviewers and many of them are like self proclaimed like the biggest fans of Star Trek um, are saying that you know they think that this movie Beyond is like the closest to resembling the original series episodes and movies. My take is a little bit different uh, on that. Uh, I actually sort of kind of disagree. I think tonally, I think this is the farthest movie away from the original. And and in my opinion, like, here's why. For me, this is the first Star Trek of any kind, of any, whether it's television, uh, uh, animated series, or, or movies. I think this is the, the, the that was predicated on action over story, mm-hmm. uh, coming in with Jess and Lynn. Now that's not to say I thought the story sucked. The story I felt used some common tropes that Star Trek the original series used. Things like you know there was always the, the, there was a mission where the Enterprise had to find a lost Commodore or a captain, or a Commodore goes insane and 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 Kirk has to suss things out. So that is a common trope. The the uh, uh, the bones Kirk sharing a drink uh, is is a common theme, or the yeah, doctor around and the birthday captain. too, right around the well. That's <laughs> Wrath of Khan, yeah. which would you know. Um, but even throughout the series, Doctor Captain having their conversation while while sharing a Romulan ale or a Saurian brandy yeah. is like a common thing. So, but those episodes, like again, a lot of these episodes, they did focus on a dramatic element. There was something. There was something that good science fiction and Star Trek, in particular, always did was mirror society. Mm-hmm. Um, this one didn't quite do that. Uh, it's the most action in a Star Trek 
anything ever. And while there are nods to the original, uh, you know, I just feel, feel like references do not a movie make. Albeit, I think the references used in Beyond were far better utilized than, say, my worst movie of the year, Ghostbusters, where it <laughs> felt so forced onto me that it took me out of the picture. These were like slight, gentle nods. It, it, they, they never took me out of the moment of the of the movie. They played as a natural means of the storytelling. So, th- however, with that said, I did feel that the movie was too. Actiony. Um, this was the first Star Trek of any incarnation where I actually had to suspend disbelief uh, in certain scenes. And Justin Lin, like, let, let's just say, he didn't do a horrible job. On the contrary, in the Fast and Furious movies, this guy breaks every single law of physics. <laughs> no demand, but you buy it. You suspend your disbelief. I think that, you know, in space... Not all those rules need apply. So there were certain scenes where I felt he was amazing. And there were shots of like the Enterprise or space things that were going on that I actually said, wow. I said, he, that's great. But there were other sequences that I felt went on a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he even had to throw in a Fast and Furious moment in the movie uh, where, where, you know, okay. Kirk and, and Jayla, you know, yeah. they synchronize their time and height and they jump at the same time to hug. And I'm like, was it cool? Well, it was sort of cool, but I'd seen it in two Fast and Furious movies before. I'm not sure it was needed here. And especially since we've had space jumps in Star Trek, I felt the previous two movies did a far better job in creating like a suspense going other than the Fast and Furious moment here. Um you know, this was a gr- this was a very good summer popcorn movie, uh, and again, I think there was one particular scene where I actually did get emotional that Justin Lin handled with a lot of tender love and care, and that's when Spock mm-hmm. opens up Pro- Spock Prime's picture, and we see the original crew of the Enterprise. It didn't take me out. I actually said, "Kudos." That's a really nice nod to our original cast and I thought it was done with out of great respect. So I think the score was really good. Editing was was fine. The pacing was was fine outside of some action scenes being long. It's a very good summer popcorn movie. The first time I think I've ever said Star Trek as a popcorn movie. So there you go. John? (laughs) um, Where do I start? Just that I, th- I think I'm on the other end of the spectrum here. I didn't enjoy that. Uh, you thought it was too heady? Uh, <laughs> no, I, just, I, <laughs> I thought not liking it. Uh, I, I, I can't say I disliked it because I didn't dislike it, but I didn't like it. I, I, I think it never got out of impulse power for me. It never reached warp speed. I, I, the action sequence, uh, notwithstanding, but uh, I, I thought the action sequence. I, well, because you made the point, uh, I thought the story took a second seat. Uh, and I didn't think that was uh, it didn't engage me because of that so and I didn't like a lot of the action sequences I I just I don't like the way he composes his shots I don't I think the the, the frenetic use and the never giving us context drives me nuts uh, so that doesn't work for me 
So uh, overall, I, it wasn't a great popcorn experience. I wanted it to be, but I remember some at some point during the movie, I was wishing I was somewhere else. <laughs> so. You wish you could transport it. Yeah, transport I wanted to. It I, was like, the, I, I honestly was thinking, God, I, I, I knew because we're going to be doing Born next week. I was going, gosh, I wish I was watching Born right now. <laughs> so I wanted to get teleported. So. Well, for me, I I did enjoy it. Um, I, I do agree that I I thought for me there was nice. You know what I liked was the, as much as. There was action. I felt it was motivated by thinking, you know, and everyone kind of strategized and everyone had a role to play. And I thought there was a, a very great balance of all the characters. It wasn't just on Kirk. It wasn't just on Spock. It, you know, everyone had a role to play, even though ultimately, like, some, um, you know, it just kind of comes down to Kirk and, 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 and Crawl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to commend it. Like, is it the best movie I've ever seen? No, but... In a summer where sequels just have failed and failed and yeah. even reboots, you know what? I got to give them a nod and say, you know, at least you succeeded. Yeah, I don't disagree in that. In fact, of all those, of all of these summer sequels and reboots that, that have gone, Star Trek Beyond has gone beyond all of them. I mean, it, it really was one of the times where I had the, the most fun, uh, you know, this summer in watching a sequel. Yeah. Uh, to, to your point, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. We've been let down like Quite a lot. A with, we're almost with, at with the some, end. Yeah, you know, we're we're coming into the, to the final stretch. So, and I thought comedically it was it was done really well. Um, obviously, I think in large part due to Simon Pegg. Uh, this is his kind of first foray into something more dramatic, but I, I, I like the humor. Yeah. I thought he did a fantastic job. With yeah, that. I agree. I mean, it's undeniable that Simon Pegg is a fan. Yeah. You know, it, it really is. And I just think that they were, there was so much a fan and they wanted to put in this humor, this infused humor, especially between Bones and Spock, yeah. which is, you know, that's a thorough thread. That's a through line through the original series and the movies and whatnot. But it almost seemed like it was, they were ODing on it. It was almost like they, they were relying on it. And while, again, the banter was great and, and the performance... If I'm not buying any of these actors playing these roles, I, I'm out. I'm really, I'll be, I would have been checked out in 2009. But, but I do buy them, and I think they did a really good job. I just wished that they did take a little more time and care to, to, to focus, like predicating the story around the action. Like, let's not use action as a means of, like, Going from point A to B, it's got to be it's got to be organic. It's got to be in there. And when you look at the really good movies, whether it be Wrath of Khan, uh, Search for Spock, uh, or Undiscovered Country, or even like things like First Contact, yeah. the the action in there is really solid and good. But they have a good Star Trek well, story. Well, let's to talk. Tell. About, I mean, we'll talk about the full development. But just even in, like they had by the time Simon Pegg got to it, he had about. Two months of lead time to write a script. Yeah, yeah. And then once they started shooting, they had about thirteen months of a runway before this thing had to get out there. Um, to put that, uh, I, I have the somewhere in the full notes in the rundown. Uh, like, uh, what's one of the movies that's coming out next year has at least a seventeen month window. <laughs> right. <laughs> so to, thirteen months is not. I mean, that's incredible. And again, to, to succeed to any d- degree is tremendous. Where all, all these other movies are just 
not doing that. Uh, yeah. So I have to commend him for that. And I, I think part of, you know, any shortcomings, I think it stems from that. They just didn't have time. Yeah, yeah which, which, is, which is a bummer because yeah. I think that they were so focused on... This is the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, no, you can't miss that deadline. You, you know, you just... You can't miss... No, yeah, you can't. But at the same time, I would have... I have a really huge disappointment in Paramount on this because they really didn't give it the the tender loving care that say MJM Sony gave James Bond for Skyfall. Like everything going around Skyfall, they did give it the time. They massaged it from from a marketing standpoint, from a movie standpoint. And this as fun as I'm as much fun as I had on Beyond, it wasn't Skyfall. Like Skyfall is like a solid James Bond movie from from beginning to end, and that commemorates the fiftieth. You know that puts a mark and said this is fiftieth. This one I felt that they were sort of rushing, and everything came together towards like towards the last minute to say oh, it's the fiftieth anniversary. We got to get this out. You know there wasn't even like on the poster there should have been something the yes. logo commemorating fiftieth yeah. anniversary of Star Trek. I mean, we got to make this big. I mean, fifty yeah, years. Yeah, I was surprised not to see any of that. In the, I think uh, marketing. I I think it kind of works in this way. If if you notice, Star Wars did this right because mm-hmm. technically it's the uh, the seventh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they initially had it as Episode Seven, but what they did, they didn't want to isolate audiences, so they took mm-hmm. that away mm-hmm. and just it became Star Wars: The Force Awakens because they don't want numbers associated with it mm-hmm. and. Uh, because it would have isolated people. But, but trust I don't know. me, if I, Star Wars makes it to 50 years, which it will, yeah. right? Yeah. Disney is going to like <laughs> blast that out. And it, it, they're not going to care who's, yeah. who's who's still around to remember when they first... It's Everybody is going to know that Star Wars is going to hit 50. This one, it didn't have that. And it should have. It Star Trek deserves it. I mean, bottom line. It yeah, to survive that long, long in this kind of an environment, this, yeah. in, that, in this business. In this just, business, from yeah. a show that stemmed from from yeah. a, a brand that stemmed from TV in the 60s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. With that production value. Right. Well, okay, so, so I know we're kind of, uh, I, we're going, there, but let's talk about the marketing because okay. the first trailer that came out, Simon Pegg was very <laughs> adamant. That what that this is not reflective of the movie, guys. And he, he, was, he was very upset that the the reveals of the song were used in there, mm-hmm. which to me, I mean, obviously the song, you're kind of anticipating the song, and if, yeah. if you have any recollection of the trailer, you're like, oh, I know what it's going to be, right? And uh, and it kind of ruins the whole uh, reveal anyway. Yeah. At all. So I mean, what do you get? So in terms of the marketing, you think overall just didn't hit the mark? I don't think it did. I think I, the fact that they did no, I just don't think it, on any level that it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know I, again I think that Paramount screwed the pooch on this one. They they literally again they came up with that awful first trailer, and and as a Star Trek fan, I was so looking forward to see. And then I saw this, and I'm like, what? okay, it's wait. And then, but then going forward, like after that first trailer come out, it, it was like radio silence. Uh, I went to CinemaCon where they had J.J. Abrams. And Simon Pegg were there, and I was like going, oh, CinemaCon. I am going, oh, great. There, I'm going to see something here. Nothing. Nothing. Like, they showed nothing at CinemaCon. Simon Pegg and and even J.J. Abrams made casual reference to Justin Lin is working hard on this. But that was 
it. And after that, I walked out of CinemaCon going, they, they, they're in trouble. Yeah, Houston, we have a problem yeah. because it's the 50th and they're throwing so much money into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. And I'm like going, where's Star Trek? And it eventually came, but they crammed it into like a month and a half mm-hmm. time. And but then they came up with some great posters, but uh, better, far better trailers. But it should have been stuff that yeah. should have like that throwback poster that was uh, the throwback to Star Trek: The Motion yeah. Picture. Yeah. It should have been the first poster yeah. coming out exactly. a year ago, yeah. and there should have been the Star Trek logo 50th anniversary. Like, get audiences like aware that this is going to be a nostalgic romp through yeah. memory lane. You're going to come back to Star Trek that you loved mm-hmm. and it There's never... There's an homage factor They, they had a fan event and as a fan, I didn't even know that they had a fan event. <laughs> like, I was like, when the hell did this happen? I know. It's, I was it's, like, yeah. you and had a fan event at Paramount? And you're plugged into it. And I'm, play, and I'm like, how the hell did I miss yeah. a, like a quote-unquote fan event? Yeah. I'm like, who gets to go to this fan event? I go... You weren't reaching out to me. Like, this had to be an elite, like, form of people that went there. And and the other thing, too, is that I learned, you know, it wasn't until later I was learned, oh, they're having the premiere at Comic-Con. Oh, and the only way you can really go is if you were invited to the fan event to get credentialed. Like, well, how the hell? I know. What the hell's going on here? I felt really jilted as a fan about whatever opportunity that there was to be a part of what I understand was an amazing night. But I will say the one caveat for me marketing wise is that they said, we're going to hold the premiere at Mm Comic-Con. That to me said, okay, Paramount believes they have the goods because you are not going to show a stinker. Yeah, but until then, you didn't think... uh, Exactly. They projected, in my mind, projected the idea that they didn't have the goods. I agree. And and to do that a week out... uh, It wasn't even a week out. It was a week out. I mean, they... Yeah, I mean, it was was a week out. Um, In terms of the Comic-Con... Uh, premiere again. I, I didn't get to go, but from what I hear, they like built out an IMAX version, literally just for this. And uh, and instead of having the score as part of the movie, they played the score live. Yeah, and this is something Gene Kino uh, has done. I th- for all I know, he could have invented this two years ago, um, and you could have bought tickets. San Francisco, uh, uh, San Diego Symphony Orchestra. They did this in part of Comic Con. They did it at the same location, and they had. I, I got to see this. It was amazing. I got to see the 2009 Star Trek mm-hmm. accompanied by live by orchestra. From, and you funny. were able to purchase tickets. And I got tickets right up front. And it was amazing. And Gene Kino was there. John Cho was there. And you got to see the movie. It wasn't as built out. It wasn't like an IMAX screen. But it was a huge-ass screen. Mm-hmm. And from there on in, now you see these sort of kind of events taking place at the Hollywood Bowl. Um but it would have been great to have been a part of it. But like I was saying, Paramount at least, like, if they had a stinkeroo, they're not premiering at Comic-Con because social media, people would are hitting send, you know, before Fate the Black, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, you know, you just don't do that if you, uh, if, if you have a bad movie. So that at least going into seeing the movie. Gave said, you some hope. If Paramount, yeah, it, it gave me some hope. So Fair enough. Well, before we get stabbed by fans, let's get into story. <laughs> um, so, I mean, o- overall, 
You know, I mean, it, it, like I said, it, it went through many sort of iterations, and then uh, so much so, what, what I liked about it was that Simon Pegg kept quitting. Up to yeah. four times I read. <laughs> yeah. Because, and then J.J. kept calling and be like, all right, really? Come on. Come on. Come, 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 come on. We need you. You got to finish it. Um, you know, and it just, it just uh, you know, a lot of these frustrations that we're talking about, the marketing, he kind of felt from the writing perspective that, you know, he was getting too many notes on or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Justin Lin gets hired and, and he kind of throws his own idea in there, which it was his idea to blow up the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was... That, that was very controversial between them. Mm-hmm. And it was, unfortunately, they couldn't do it face to face. It was a lot of um, phone, phone and Skype, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Um, but, okay, so why don't we talk about that notion to, to, to blow up to the Enterprise? Yeah, well, they've done it on, in multiple movies, so it's not like they haven't had seen it done before. Although, I have to say, as it was happening, are we really going to blow it up that early in the movie? All right, okay. I, I didn't, I, just as a fan, I wasn't enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it does happen early on. Now, it, it is interesting because it parallels it parallels the original series movies. Uh, mm-hmm. You had motion picture Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. uh, and then Star Trek Three, the third movie, is when they blow up the Enterprise. But mm-hmm. I will say this. Watching the Enterprise blow up in the search for Spock, mm-hmm. like, that was just another death yeah. for me. Like, mm-hmm. when Spock dies in Wrath of Khan, like, that's a... That Big bummer. Huge. Seeing the Enterprise blow like, up, what? And, and it was like, yeah. oh, that's a bummer. But there was, but there was a reason for it to happen. You know, it was, and, and Kirk and McCoy again having great dialogue. He's like, I did what I did, you know, to keep us alive and to keep this mission going. Like, this is what I had to mm-hmm. do. And you know, we'll get other ships. We got to get Spock. Like, that's the most important thing. And blowing up the Enterprise as a means of survival in that movie. You know, in this movie, uh, it turned out to be, I mean, I thought it was a great action sequence. Um, but I was thinking to myself, as was happening, I was like, if you're planning on boarding the ship, why are you, why are you like, throwing on such critical damage? <laughs> like, they yeah, were yeah, the, ripping seems, the shit yeah, out, of it, out of, out of it. Like, and it was like... Oh. <laughs> That's my thing. I, <laughs> I will decline. Uh, odd. How odd. Dimitri's I'm getting a phone call. <laughs> but yeah, it. Uh, that to me was just like weird. It's like, why are you pounding the ship into such critical damage, and then you're going to board it? Yeah, and you have to find something on it. I'm just, yeah. I just, some of it just makes well, no it, sense. But, but it looks fantastic. And the more you blow up, the less you have to search. <laughs> I mean, you might blow up the very thing you're looking for. No, because you're, if it's that important, you're gonna, yeah. you know, that's the your MacGuffin. Of course, someone's gonna hold on to it. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. but they didn't know how important it was. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, like it was, a, it was a great sequence. Um, the saucer separation scene. Well, I mean, yeah. it wasn't. A, it was a saucer disconnection scene. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, that paralleled generations, which we mm-hmm. had an amazing saucer sep. Yeah. And then the crash done with models. Um, this one was like great, but man, you know, was I sad that this Enterprise blew up? Nah, I'm, I'm already conditioned that there can be yeah, an A. They're just going to build another one. As, as Jean-Luc Picard so aptly said at the end of Generations, there are many letters in the alphabet. So, yeah, I know that there's going to be an A. Uh, mm-hmm. Great scene, though. That time lapse at the end of the mm-hmm. movie I thought yeah. was really awesome. Um, I didn't feel the same emotional impact. It was, mm-hmm. yet again, it was just another action scene uh, mm-hmm. sequence that looked phenomenal, 
But yeah. I didn't have that emotional I, impact I from Star Trek I III. hated the way it was shot. Did you really? I did. Even like the fight scenes and like, because I, again, I was, I thought I mean, it was They, they built well. this to mass scale. I mean, you know, one of yeah. the things that came out of it, uh, Justin was looking for a blueprint of the Enterprise and there apparently never was a blueprint for mm-hmm. all of the Enterprise. So they <laughs> had to create that for the very first time, ironically. Um, but in terms of the actual set, like, it, it's really cool how they did it. Um, you know, it's almost like, Inception did it in a way where it had the rigs and yeah. you know and the hallways turned every which yeah. way. This was similar except at a much larger scale. Yeah, you know and and I I don't know. Look in terms of how they did it, I thought it was cool. I, in terms of how it actually looked in the movie, I didn't have a problem with it. Not for me. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I, I, I didn't have a problem. Half of it was good, and half of it was there were there were so many sequences that were he was so tight on everything that you you didn't have a. It's like oh, you're, there's a hand, and I don't know what the hell is going on around it, and, and it was so frenetic. And I don't mind quick cuts and close-ups because there are plenty of action sequences that are great like that. This to me just I hated his composition, and I just didn't think he had the eyeline right, and it was just confusing and not exciting. It was more annoying for me. Mm. Yeah, and this, I, like I said, I thought you know Justin Lin is able to break those laws of physics because we're yeah. sort of kind of in space, and and the gimbling that was used, I thought was done really well, and I really I like the pacing and the cutting from going to interiors, and there's something going on there, mm-hmm. and then we go out to the out to space, we go to the exteriors, and we see all the havoc that's being wreaked, you know, wreaked there, and then again, you know, he shot the Enterprise. Almost in like this this great way, and you know, seeing it fly through space or a cloud or whatever, I, I yeah, I, I enjoyed that sequence. I really did. I, I, I'm with you. Um, so some people complained it was too dark. Somebody said to me they, mm-hmm. they thought that it was too dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, well, I saw it in 3D and it was pretty cool. I, well, that's ironic because one of the things that they talk about are like you know, uh, most sci-fi movies are too dark, and Star Star Trek allows you to have brighter colors and brighter palettes mm. I, I don't know like and yeah maybe at times it's dark but when they're on the planet that's the brightest thing we've seen mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> like it's right. always daylight in, on right. that planet so mm-hmm. i don't know um did you guys feel that it was uh, a lot of people are comparing it that it was too epi- like it felt like too much of an episode versus an actual movie and uh whether or not that's true, it was certainly kind of more, it was their intention. I mean, Simon Pegg says, when we spoke about writing beyond, uh, let's make it as if it's an episode of the original series um, had been injected with gamma radiation. The crew <laughs> happen upon a mysterious planet. They're on the surface. They meet an adverse- adversary. They learn a lesson. It's what the original series um, episodes were constructed by. Yeah, I didn't find I didn't find it to be episodic other than the fact that they were doing things from the episodes but they weren't doing it for the science fiction purpose of it like again Kirk McCoy having a drink that comes from the episodes uh, or or the movies but I didn't feel it to be episodic so to speak I I guess first off I'm trying to define it fully in a a way that I can articulate to others I don't know where like this just—I don't know. Like, there's there is that distinction between a two-hour episode and right. a, like an actual movie. Like, you know, and but at the end of the day, to me, start like oh, at this point, any movie just yeah. can continue. Well, that's <laughs> the point. I mean, Star Trek now movies are episodic in a sense because we know we're going to have another. Yeah. So right. 
and, and they make and there fun is a of continuation it. from the last one. Sure, yeah, so. and and nine hundred sixty-six days, mm-hmm. which is nice Easter egg, by the so. way. Nine sixty-six September nineteen sixty-six when mm-hmm. Star Trek yeah. was born. But um, it's taking it further, they make fun of at the opening. You know, mm-hmm. during the captain's log, he goes, mm-hmm. "Yeah, we're." You know, he's just going about the doldrums yeah, of, of going through space. And he says, <laughs> exactly. yeah, it's starting to feel a little episodic. Yeah. <laughs> and, which is like those little nods. Mm-hmm. Some people didn't find them humorous. I found it to be funny. Mm-hmm. My, my, probably my favorite was is, why do my shirts keep on ripping? <laughs> when mm-hmm. Captain Kirk says that, I'm like, that's, sort of, that's funny. Because yeah. if you watch the series, he's shirtless a lot <laughs> because no. of his shirt ripping. Right. But I didn't find this to be Episodic. So, okay. Did you? How about you? Like, I, what were your thoughts? Uh, well, I didn't even. It did. It didn't come either way to me as I was watching. I didn't. I mean, I knew there'd be another movie yeah. after yeah. this. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. Yeah, but so. it, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I enjoyed the the series. So, I, even if it was, I didn't. Kirk's Kirk's dilemma, right? Because yeah. um, what I liked, they, they set up pretty really well between Spock and Kirk, um, and, and and set that up, and then it takes a takes a backseat for most of the movie and it mm-hmm. gets resolved pretty quick at the end yeah. um but in terms of kirk is the, is his existential crisis solved by like going to war at this point because <laughs> the, the exploration <laughs> part of it yeah is what bored him to death yeah i was, I, I it was so i mean what's your guys's take on that it's an interesting for me it was a very interesting take because it seemed that they were making him admiral Far too quickly. Vice Admiral. Like, or Vice Admiral. Like, there wasn't... We were just getting into, and I thought what Star Trek Into Darkness did wonderfully, and, and I will defend Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. Me and another movie critic went head-to-head about this, yeah. but I thought what Into Darkness... One of the aspects that that movie did very well was it showed the learning curve of, you know, James Tiberius Kirk, in which he was he had to learn about what what it meant to respect the chair and his crew and what self-sacrifice meant. And to, you know, if you're going to jump in to a situation, you know, be aware of what's good. You know, be aware of yourself. What can you do? But you have to have that self-sacrifice. I felt that that was a great Star Trek point that he was just learning and all of a sudden he's becoming vice admiral. Where Yeah, I didn't I didn't quite get it. Yeah. I it, mean, it, I understood it. I just, I was like, what? It just didn't ring... Didn't land and, real well. Yeah, and if I yeah. could, I mean, that wasn't what the problem I had with it. It was what was, what was it? What was? Uh, well, it was, the, it was the fact of that at the end of this, what gave him motivation was, was like, oh, we war. just went on this great war action yeah. sequence. Yeah, but no, and that well, was the takeaway. Yeah, but I think he, uh, yeah, that's true. It was, it, I, it was a little muddy the whole thing for me that storyline and. It's like I did. I, it was hard for me to buy into that from the beginning. Like, what you've been out there for how many years, and that's it? Well, and and there, again, how many years has it been? Like, it's it's very interesting to me because in Star Trek: The Motion Picture, mm-hmm. okay, Kirk, Kirk by that time is a, an admiral or a mm-hmm. vice admiral, um, and they have to send the Enterprise out to 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 to. Um, they have to go explore intercept this, this the intercept V'ger. They have right. to go check this thing out. Mm-hmm. And Kirk fights with Admiral Nagura mm-hmm. to get the Enterprise to at least be the person to, to to take the Enterprise out. It's a major theme in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, about Jim, you should have never given up command. Mm-hmm. Like that is your first best destiny. Right. They talk about that. 
um, in, in great length. But but you've had time for it to mature, to, mm. to sink in, because a lot of time had gone by from the television series to when it made its debut on, on the big screen. Yeah, there was screen. weight behind it. This this odd. one, it was like, this is the third movie. Yeah. He's I've just finding him in, himself. Yeah, I've exactly. only seen him in two movies. Two. And all of a sudden, he's becoming a vice admiral, yeah. and he's is thinking I, of what? taking it. And I was like, well, yeah. I know he is the youngest captain to achieve, uh-huh. well, a captaincy. I know, but the argument they're making is he goes, yeah, but I was, I did this on a dare. It's not that I really wanted this, you know. And I'm going, yeah, but we clearly saw that you wanted it. Yeah, he he even said, "I'm going to be," you know. He goes, "Really? I'm going to finish Starfleet." He goes, "I'm going to finish in six months. I'll be done in three, and I'll be captain here." Mm -hmm. There's a bravado that 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 I do think that Chris Pine captures, Mm -hmm. but I felt it was a little unearned, being that. He just had this great arc in Into Darkness. I wanted to see that arc continue yeah. and not be asked to be a vice admiral. Why, why would he, I didn't get at all why he would want to be a vice admiral. Yeah. I didn't get, I was like, why would he choose that? It doesn't seem to be in his character. It makes no sense to me. Uh, and the idea that he would, okay, so you didn't really want to be in Starfleet. You did it on a dare. Okay, I understand that too. But really, you demonstrated that you're, that, that pretty much right. is your calling, yeah. And you're going to give that up. I, I just doesn't ring. That just a ring true. Well, I mean, I the the way I read it was that it, it was just something different from his father, and it was it was a, it was a progression. Because yeah. I, I did he's like got, the, he's still questioning who he is. Who are you going to be outside of the shadow of your father? I, I did like the injection. You kept mentioning Dimitri that it was a trope for uh, Bones and him to have drinks, but the fact of like not only is he celebrating his birthday. It's also so the, the death, death of his, his father. father. So, so yeah, there is know. that. And do I want to end up like him or or whatever that was going through his mind at the time? No, those those were all wonderful. It's just I thought it could have been played yeah, by the end of it. Again, I think we're celebrating more of his birthday rather mm-hmm. than just yeah. Uh, it's a rebirth in a sense. So. Yeah, and and again, don't forget that that you know Pike mm. in two thousand nine said you know your captain was Starship. We, we, your your yeah. father was a, was captain of a starship for seven minutes, and he saved so many lives. I yeah. dare you to do better. You know, it's a great line in that movie, and again, it adds a different layer. You know, in more a little more backstory that we never really got to got in the television series so much because it, the television series, unlike today's TV, mm-hmm. it was it was extremely episodic. Yeah. Each episode was meant to stand alone. And 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 they carried that through all the other incarnations of Star Trek on TV. Yes, there were two parters, there were cliffhangers, but for the most part, each episode should be able to stand alone. Much as the movies should be able to in one way, shape, or form, these movies are giving us a little more backstory. Like we see Spock as a child, uh, you know, we see Captain Kirk as a child uh, growing up and learning about his dad, and and you get that. I like that. I joined Starfleet on a dare, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a it's a great line in this movie. I just wish that they again cut out some of the action. Let me give. Yeah. Give more to this story I I, because it's a me. good was, story. There, this good. This is my main criticism of the movie is that you you've got so much to work with and you kind of didn't you go for it. You, yeah. you, you let the action see. That's why I said the, the storylines and the character work it, it took a second seat. Yeah. So, so let's talk about Spock then, because he, you know you mentioned Dimitri. It was a really good moment the way they treated that. Obviously, um, in. Uh, a reference to Leonard Nimoy actually passing mm-hmm. away, even though not directly stating it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was 
as you said, handled really well. But that, too, took a huge backseat. Yeah. And by the end of it, you know, we kind of resolve Kirk's thing in this. I and mean, we do resolve Spock that he's also going to stay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, get back together with Uhura. Do we get that? that kind, kind of a hint of, a, that. Hint of a hint it, of but that, not quite so. like, hey, I'm going to. Yes. I mean, the way, the way he said, I can't remember the last line he says to her, but basically I wanted to, what is it, I want to spend time with you or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, I want to spend time with you socially. She's like, yeah, you something like that, which is, <laughs> which is a huge thing for him. So, so we get, okay, there's a possibility of that going to continue. I got that. Yeah. I mean, I, I got that yeah. at the end. But I, you know, that's where I, you know, just because of Wrath of Khan and the 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 way they worked that relationship between Spock and Kirk and how successful that was. Here they had the, pretty much the same time of screen time on that storyline. They had the one scene in the uh, what do we call it? The elevator. elevator. Sorry, it's not the right term. What's the term? Transporter? Tur- no, the, the turbo. No, when the turbo lift. Thank oh, you. Yeah, the yeah. turbo the lift. Turbo lift. Yeah, sure. And then, so there's that nice <laughs> scene in there, and I'm going. Yeah. Again, they, they didn't really mind that relationship for as much as they could because it's just they, they realize they're better together than apart mm-hmm. and, and stuff. But, you know, it's like, eh, it was like, it was like, oh, we should do this. And it was, it felt like they could have really done a lot more. With I that. will give them credit on that. That scene, again, if, if they had kind of continued it from there, that scene set up really nicely because it's just one, one of the most awkward things. Yeah. Like, uh, you go first. Yeah, I'll tell you later. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really well done. Yeah, yeah I, I, I really wanted them to again, do the, some more with the those. cast and the performances are great. And going back to the, I, I just loved the fact that they acknowledged, you know, the original cast, mm-hmm. and they did it. Yeah. I felt in a, in yeah, a really, good. I thought they did it in a great way. And Spock's looking at this, going, "Wow, this is us in another time string," but this is Spock. This was Spock Prime's mm-hmm. world, and look at these people. They look like they are a crew, and they look like family. Mm-hmm. You know, well be well before like Fast and Furious. You know, hung yeah. its hat on family. Right. Star Trek really was about this crew, yeah. and when you got into the movies, like it, it becomes more and more evident that these. They're so well together that if someone were to go away or, or accept a promotion and not be mm. part of the family, you're like, yeah, what would that? It's a do? bummer. Yeah, <laughs> like it's 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 a real bummer. And that's kind of one of the things that I w- was strikingly missing for me is because the whole thing is that there's diverse, there's this family of, of diverse individuals and talents and all that other stuff, which is great, and that's what they set up. Uh, and then even Carl is talking about that you think diversity is your strength, it's your weakness, and and I wanted everybody to be included in the 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 overcoming crawl and it was and it wasn't really that they didn't uh, you know Sula didn't really have his moment Chekhov didn't really have his moment and I'm going and I wanted that family that diverse family to overcome this uh, force that was saying that's your weakness and that, that didn't really happen so they set this thing up that I wish they had paid off better because mm. they didn't it, you know they kind of did but not really I will say that you, uh, one of the things going into it for me uh, because Chekhov doesn't quite have the biggest role in the first movie, and and then the second movie, I don't, I can't really remember him that much. Yeah, but he just runs around and he saves this. Remember that? Yeah, in the first movie, I mean, yeah. he is an integral part of beaming uh, Kirk yeah. and Sulu up after that 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 launch off of the platform, right. and you know, the he's running through. Yeah. yeah, and and yeah, he's. Uh, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. He was. Well, he followed Jaya around. No. Uh, uh, well, I, I, well, what I mean to say is that. I didn't know how much screen time he would get. Right. right. And uh, I thought, yeah, he, you know, Anton has another movie coming out still. But uh, for, for this one, I thought, 
he did a really good job and he yeah. got a lot of screen time mm-hmm. um, and it was great to see him well it was, it was a you know it's a it's a it's a balancing act I think uh, and this this always led to friction on the set mm-hmm. you know uh, of the original series you know many people felt that William Shatner hogged up all the scenes mm-hmm. and he actually talked to the writers and saying no you got to beef up my scene and throughout the movies and whatnot and but he always had a he goes he always had this one line that they were, and I'm paraphrasing. He said something to the effect of, "This show's about Captain Kirk and a ship, and like he has two friends who are the yin and the yang of his of his of his mm-hmm. conscience, and the rest of the people are the crew. Mm-hmm. Like it's not called the Scotty Show. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't the Enterprise engineering. This is right. Star Trek. I'm the captain of the ship. <laughs> so I sort of get it. But in the, what the movies have done." Is they've done that fine balancing act, um, even even in motion picture or a wrath of concert. Yeah, they certainly Spock. because because all the fans right, right. they you know it, uh, appreciate those characters. They want to see more of them, and they usually this one to me didn't have as good of a balance because, like you said, we spent a lot more time with Spock and um, spent a lot of time with with, 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 with Bones with, with with Spock and Bones yeah. in this one. Um, and, you know, and even with Jada, which is nice. I'm going glad they brought somebody else I in. I thought she was a great, but uh, for but sure. they, I think, at the expense of leaving a few of them behind. Yeah, I mean, so. even in like even in a movie like because uh, how Spock. much she had, how many lines did she have? But, but, but I, again, I, I thought wanted she was to see a her. Bit, I wanted to one. see her do a little bit more and react to how she was feeling yeah. about Spock. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, because it wouldn't have taken much to give these these characters wonderful moments, but and because they could have easily taken away some of the action sequences just to give those moments. But I felt some characters. I felt Uhura in this movie, though, too, was part of some key integral scenes Mm -hmm. as to what was going on that that was moving the plot. Yeah. Um, you know, but even when you look at a thing like uh, but it got Spock. reduced down to a, to a tracking device. Yeah, exactly. Say that again. <laughs> reduced down to a tracking device. Yeah, yeah. I mean that, that that was very funny, but yeah. uh, unfortunately for who are it, it kind of lessened her yeah. ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in in Star Trek Three, Uhura has a great. You know, again, the the crew becomes a little bit separated, but mm-hmm. you got your core. You've got yeah. Kirk McCoy. You got Scotty mm-hmm. uh, and Sulu. Uh, taking the Enterprise out to go find Spock, but Uhura has a great thing in breaking McCoy out of prison, and she right, flips yeah, the yeah, guy. She goes, yeah. "Don't call me Tiny." Or, no, that, that, that <laughs> yeah. was Sulu. I'm sorry, yeah. Mister Adventure. Yeah. Oh, Mister and the Transporter. Yeah. She goes, "Oh, Mister Adventure. This is what you're going to do." She has a great moment. Uh, Nichelle Nichols did. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would have wanted some more of those great moments in uh, Beyond, but mm. again, I really think that the cast has gelled. Together as such as a family, they have when which they, is when they're together, they're great. It's great, which is why you know because they can do it and it works real well. They should take advantage of it and do it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let me ask you that. There's some you know in terms of the action, right? We, we've been talking about a lot about it, but um, someone said uh, when I was reading that when we didn't have Star Wars in the movies. Um, it was kind of needed, right? It was, there was that void, and you needed... That's Star Wars is aptly named Star Wars, but we needed something that was a little bit more action-y. Now, because we have Star Wars and are going to have more, mm-hmm. you know, now that we got Rogue One and so forth, now Star Trek can go back to being more heady and, and, and separating itself in that way, and it can offer something different mm-hmm. from Star Wars. Maybe, you know, it it's, be. it's funny because Chris Pine was recently quoted saying... You can't do that kind of Star Trek in today's world. 
And I was thinking about what he said. And to an extent, I, it's, it's a hard to not be able to argue against it because, you know, will an audience stay in there? I mean, for, you know, a really great example, look at what look at Interstellar. Jesus Christ, you can't get any headier of a science fiction movie. And, you know, that's not doing Star Wars business, but it's very heady. But you've got, you know, that movie had the benefit of big promotion behind it, Christopher Nolan behind it. If you're doing a Star Trek movie today where people are looking for Star Wars, more kind of superhero kind of action, it it sadly seems to have to take... A little bit of a back burner. I, my argument against that is like, well, everybody reveres like like Wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. Well, just make stories like that. That's what I mean. Make I, it a I, character story and I put the action in there that's predicated yeah. by the by, by yeah. the drama that's happening I think on people, screen. The audience will be there for a story with action, without action, as long as it's compelling and interesting. They will. Yeah. They just will because the story is there. People, they go for the spectacle, yeah, but the reason why they keep coming back and talking about it is the story. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, you know. And look no, at, how many people talk about the action sequences from Wrath of Khan? Not really. That's no, but not no. About, it's I not mean, about the it's action there, sequences. Um, but, but I'll even, like, I'll take Undiscovered Country. Yeah. Which is an amazing, you know, amazing send-off for the original crew that has some pretty decent sequences. Mm. But again, it's not, those don't make the movie. It's the story of why this is called Undiscovered Country. Where's this crew going? And then when you look at movies like um, First Contact with Next Generation, mm. you know, and the Bork... Again, you had a really great story in there that had some super sequences. Um, and that's, again, that's all you really have to do. Don't, don't like, don't look at the, don't go so far into detail that, ooh, this was in an episode and people really like this. Yeah, have it in there. But make a story around what makes James Kirk tick. Like, why is he feeling already old when this is his third move like <laughs> yeah. like he yeah. should be yeah. like and to your point too because i mm. you're phil you made a great point it's like oh he can only be himself as if if it's predicated by war he's got to yeah. be in this situation like you can have adventure with uh, without like yes james kirk has saved the universe time and time mm. again but they've made it around whether it's saving the whales or whether it's saving his best friend yeah, you know, and if they had had saving his best friend or saving this or saving Jaya mm-hmm. or or something, you know, they could have come up with that. I think with mm-hmm. with just just watch those great movies. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I I sort of agree with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I would I would be I don't know maybe it's a curiosity thing. I would be interested to see what they could do. You know, and if action wasn't the thing well uh, watch star trek the motion picture <laughs> rated g wow yeah. you know i, I listen like that, but, that, okay but don't you yeah. think that was a great idea just not well executed? yes no i i actually as the years have gone on yeah. i actually respect motion picture a, yeah. a little bit more and more i think yeah. they did it's i think great what they did idea. was a really great idea great idea they just didn't know? execute it really and well. then again they rebooted by coming up with Wrath of Khan. And right. with Wrath of the Khan, I think they were just so able to explore more about character development mm-hmm. and arc. Yeah. You know, it would have been nice 
for in this movie too, I would have liked some some reference to Carol Marcus. Yeah, that was, it. That was you know weird. Yeah, it kept like, well because you made the point. What would happen if one of them left? Well, we set up that one was going to join them, and then yeah, yeah, and Carol Marcus as in the Prime universe mm-hmm. plays a major role. I mean, she mm-hmm. fathers. James Kirk's son, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so they have yeah. a relationship there, mm-hmm. and she wasn't even really mentioned. Yeah, so, she's gone. And, and again, yeah. teleport. Yeah, wouldn't it be, have been like what happened? Like, I have a son. Mm-hmm. Like what? I, like you know, stuff like. Well, that. that could have been used as a part of the motivation why he's second guessing himself. It could have been all kinds of things. I yeah. mean, that 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 coupled with the idea that it, not only his birthday but his father's death. I mean. That would have been useful. Yeah, they could have used that easily, absolutely for absolutely. character motivation. Yeah, and it would have explained everything. It would have been sure. Uh, yeah. So sp- speaking of character motivation, uh, let's talk about Crawl, the Krull. villain of okay. this. Well, the, he's yeah. our villain of this. He is our villain. And yeah. and lizard head. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, they 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 set it up early with in terms of the security cameras and mm. seeing the footage, and then obviously it plays a major role in the. End. <laughs> It's just way at the end. It, well, I, is it was it too simple in a way? I was it, I for me, like, I oh, lost there's... interest because they didn't give. I I, I would have preferred maybe a low man on total ball on this, but I would have preferred that they piece that information out a little bit so you get a little bit to keep mm-hmm. that story. By the time I learned who he was and what it was, it was really just about, uh-huh. I was like, ah. No. It was too late, and and then it was a lot of expos about why he's doing what he was doing and all this other stuff. And it was just uh, in your own words, what was he doing? Well, he was a warrior that got relegated to being in so peacetime, and he got sent out. He basically sent out to pasture, and then he got stuck on this. Planet. And the solution is to kill everyone. Well, yeah, that's where I was like, uh, okay, and it's ta- and he's for however long, hundreds, how many hundreds of years he's been staying alive. Quite a bit, whatever it is, and so this was his plan all along to, to um, popular guy. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was going Communication. Uh, yeah, so his plan is to to get back at him, and I guess part of it, we can assume at that show, all these show the audience so they know what the hell it actually yeah, is. The communicator, so they know so everything. This is an actual Bluetooth communicator, there which I could, you know, if need be, use as a phone. It can be used as a phone. I can okay. call anybody. Uh, here Tell Scotty on- so, so the blips and everything you're hearing from that. <laughs> okay, so but to get back to this, uh, you know, we can assume then, or we guess we, I would infer that all these things that are keeping him alive, and every time he takes on the life force of whatever else is affecting his brain because he's not all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but the plan is, yeah, just to get back uh, to revenge, uh, revenge what they've done to him in some sense to kill everybody. Which I go, okay, it was. Who do you, I didn't, is it, is it I, sometimes better when it's like isolated revenge? Meaning like like okay, if if you, John, were the guy that screwed me over then right. okay then. Yeah, if it, the more personal it is, the more right. that's why the red yeah. rent works so well. It yes. was just a personal vendetta. Yes, right. that's what I think. But you know, and it it was odd because I'm going, wait, so for hundreds of years he's been out there, he's trying to survive by taking life force of what other beings he comes in contact with. Right. And he's been plotting against And he's the, been he's gone through some change. Yeah, because of you know, whatever Assimilation you are that you occurs. Eat. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Your life force. You take on other. But I'm going. So for hundreds of years, he's plotting his revenge. And why, why is it taking this long to do anything to be noticed? So you, what? He's just been waiting for the. Uh, I'm sorry. I can't the remember girl. the name of it. The uh, 
And what is it? The 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 doomsday uh, device. It's the, the Abernathy. Ab- thank Abernath. you, the Abernath. Thank you. I couldn't remember it at the time. Uh, or did or did that just happen to be? And then he, boom, he puts the plan into action. It was just so not cohesive, and yeah, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, it, it was it, it, again. It's an interesting. Again, they were taking from the episodes mm-hmm. in which. You know, a captain or an admiral or yeah, a commodore goes a off the rails. In a sense, I mean, he gets you know. Well, in a outcast. sense, he's like Khan, but there were there yeah. were there are other episodes in which uh, yeah, a starship other, would have sure. cla- crashed on the planet, right? And stranded, uh, you know, and then the, the the captains on this planet with 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 people who aren't quite Federation ready, mm-hmm. and and like in one episode, I was just trying to, I'm having a brain fart. It's a cool episode because they go on this planet, and this guy is like, you know, you know, Hitler sort of had it right. <laughs> throw aside, well, but that's basically what Eugenic. it is. It's like, okay. throw aside the genocide, right? Like his so ideas of keeping order mm-hmm. were like right, and oh, like Kirk and Spock, like they're, they they fence this and they go, dude, really? Nice. Like this guy's nuts, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and and then of course there are great episodes where. Um, like the Doomsday Machine, mm-hmm. where 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 a Commodore uh, yeah. loses his entire crew because he made a wrong decision, mm-hmm. and he goes a little bit bonkers and takes over the Enterprise mm-hmm. to go attack a problem, saying, "I learned my lesson." Uh, you know, I, I I you know what I can win this time, and Kirk's like, "Not with my ship, you know." <laughs> you know, so these tropes are are yeah. a common theme, even going up to next gen and all mm. these things. You know, Starfleet gone bad or, or gone yeah, loopy. But how but do you think they laid this one out? You, do you, I don't think that they laid it out yeah. in a way that was. Um, well, it, this felt it, like it helped, it, it, I can see why Simon was, quit four times. I'm guessing a lot of the problems <laughs> that this this final script have is because people are shoving all kinds of things in there. I, I would love to have read what he put out first before it got altered to this because it was probably way more cohesive and understandable. I wish it wasn't as convoluted. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah you know, I wish it wasn't as convoluted. And and again, throw that mirror up, like. Well, I think, I, think, I think a lot of movies face this problem. They, uh, they um, I am a firm believer that uh, simple motivations work easiest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. I think we try to make it too simple in the sense that okay, uh, your main villain is out to destroy the world. Which yeah, but come on, yeah. you know, and that's I, I just don't. That, that's, yeah, the mo- that's you gotta, why Avengers: um, yeah. Age of Ultron to me didn't work. Like, in order to save humanity, mm-hmm. we must kill humanity because humanity is not good. Like, right. Oh, okay. But 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 in a sense too, if you think about it, isn't it sort of kind of the same? Um, you know, a similar um, a story plotting that the first Star Trek was, where you have this Romulan who sees his world. He sees his world collapse and explode, mm-hmm. and he knows that, you know, and he blames Spock, and he's like, you know what? The world would be a better place without the Federation, but he actually goes and tries to attack the Federation. I was thinking, well, a friend of mine said, well, if this guy could fly and stuff, why didn't he just go there? That's what I mean. I was like, what? <laughs> like, why didn't he just, like, what's he doing? Well, let, me yeah. this, let me ask you this. He has the ability. <laughs> why is he taking him hundreds of years? He has those amazing ships. Yeah. Let me like, ask you What the hell? They, they, because this this is the part of it that I didn't quite understand. Um, they've never gone that far, or whatever, through the nebula. Through the nebula, yeah, right. And I don't yeah. know what that meant. 
It seemed well, I think they were like, trying to establish the reason why they've never come in contact with this. Uh, I get that, before, but then but, it just seemed like within yeah. two minutes of hyperspace. I know, and then it's there, and it just made, yeah. Oh, it makes, look, it just, it was easy. Yeah, we're that close to Yorktown. Hey, look at that. Let's go get them. Yeah, it didn't make a hell of a lot of sense to me. And, I mean, if the girl was able to get out. Yeah. Why couldn't anybody? I, yeah, like, I it's know. just, it's just pr- like it, 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 it didn't seem like she made the toughest journey no, imaginable. No, yeah, it, there, that's yeah, it took her a few years, if I remember correctly. No, yeah. I don't well, know. Well, again, therefore, the Enterprise just it took them yeah. literally three times thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah. at the motorcycle. <laughs> you know, it's just that that's what it, it just kind of deflated that argument. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was the only thing to me that was really fascinating about that as a Star Trek geek was the timeline that they set up. Okay, be being the USS Franklin, oh that or the yeah. NX, you mm-hmm. know, the, 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 like the Franklin, mm-hmm. and again, this is like that, no, the, I love that when they I do love, that. Yeah, they, and they really I was like, flesh out they, the, that was do, terrific, and they're and they're fleshing it out because they're referencing like say Other Enterprise, exactly. which Enterprise, but you know, Jonathan Archer's NX one yeah. was the first. First starship to reach warp five, right. so we know that the Franklin predates that, mm-hmm. and 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 the Makos who are also referenced in the show Enterprise. Like mm-hmm. I love that stuff. As a Star Trek geek, right. you don't need to know that stuff to enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. But I was like really going, okay, so they're really weaving in in this reboot. They're 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 taking history from actual canon from. From mm-hmm. Star Trek Prime, let's call right. it. Mm-hmm. But I love that they're doing that, and they had the close to Archer class starship. And yeah, but if you're gonna do it, you got to make it work for this movie. So I understand. You just, <laughs> well, he was the interesting. I, we, we haven't uh, said this yet. Justin Lin is a Star Trek fan, and that mm-hmm. that to me, uh, based on some of the criticism that I've been reading, was um, it, it was almost like a shot. I was like, oh, I didn't realize. And but you know. It, it kind. Of, I, it, I'm glad he's a fan because I don't. You know, um, I would have felt even worse like criticizing it if he wasn't a fan. You know, and he didn't approach it in the right way. Right. Um, and you know, while it has problems, at the end of the day, I think he handled some of that with respect in the sense that again, these all these yeah, star- references. I think him and Simon could have gotten up. And I don't agree. I don't agree. If we we're going to talk a little bit production wise, mm-hmm. um, Roberto Ort. Or uh, I hope I'm not butchering his last name. I think it's Orichi. 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 You know, he was involved with Star Trek, Star Trek Into Darkness, mm-hmm. um, collaborator with J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. He was set to direct this, okay? He was set mm-hmm. to direct the movie. And, you know, a couple of people asked me, like, they're going, what do you think of him directing the movie? And I'm like, uh, I'm fine with it until he proves me otherwise. I mean, he he's worked so closely with J.J. Abrams. I, I don't see why he couldn't do a good job mm-hmm. and I get why Paramount's doing it because they can pay him cheap you know he, he obviously has some chops but people are like oh my god I can't believe they're, they're putting the movie in his hands or whatever eventually I guess mm-hmm. it came out of his hands where he stepped out of that position he's like I'm not going to be involved creatively but it was interesting to me as to one of the people who threw their hats in the ring um, to direct the movie and I was a little bit surprised being the 50th anniversary mm-hmm. that they didn't even and I don't know how far they entertained the, the idea or if they ever entertained the idea but Jonathan Frakes said mm-hmm. I would love to direct this Star Trek sequel Jonathan Frakes the Star Trek fans number mm-hmm. one uh, in Star Trek the next 
Generation. He directed First Contact, uh, uh, an insurrection, and like he has a pedigree. Like he knows the world of Star Trek. He knows that it's not predicated on action. I would have been really interested and fascinated to see where he took this and understanding he's been around for a couple of Star Trek anniversaries. Mm-hmm. He might have given it that that oomph that it needed. I, w- I would like to know why. I mean, I get why going with Justin Lin. I, like, I can see that from the from the dollars yeah. and cents sign, because mm-hmm. Fast and Furious. But Jonathan Frakes would have been, I thought, an amazing way to go in doing this before they end up coming to, 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 uh, to Justin Lin. Yeah. That's just, you know. I agree. I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at some of the other um, people that they were looking at. Uh, Edgar, um, Edgar Wright. Uh, I didn't read him, but yeah, I got was, Rupert Wyatt. Um, Daniel Espinosa, Duncan Jones. Those are the people that I had. Again, I don't know to what level this is true or yeah. if just rumors, but um, yeah. I just say Commander Riker, mm-hmm. I think, could have done a really good job. And again, if you didn't, they may have learned their lesson because when you had a movie, and I think it was a Star Trek Nemesis, mm-hmm. which was directed by Stuart Baird, who wasn't a Star Trek fan. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a I don't I'm not a hater of Nemesis. I think it has a good Star Trek story at its core. But from a direction standpoint, I think he just didn't get it from from, a you know, it has sort of has a disjointed feel to it amongst the cast. Had you let somebody like a Frakes who's already been in the franchise and understands it and gets it, you know, you uh, I think they. I think this would have been a different movie. Going with Justin Lin, that that automatically puts a stamp on it as to what you're going to. You pretty much have an idea of what you're going to get. I think. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, what could he? I mean, I think he got hired because Paramount wanted the action. But do you, I mean? Do you think he's capable? Because we haven't seen it yet um, to do a different type of movie. But that's what's so interesting about Nolan is that he can go from like Batman to to Memento to mm-hmm. the you know and just oh, what would it have been like to have him? Not not Nolan. What I'm saying is like to 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 see Justin Lin do something because you, you're talking. You know, you, you mentioned um, Dimitri that we've seen Fat Fast and the Furious where they're flying through the air and they got to catch each other. Yeah. Just to see Justin do something, like, he's pulling tricks out of his old hat. Yeah. Right. To do something different for Justin Lin. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Interesting. I mean, you know, I, that argument, like, Michael Bay has tried to do that, mm-hmm. you know? And, and you know, we, we talked about, what was that movie, 13, 13 Days, yeah. uh, which we said was a pretty good movie. Um, you know, he always strives to try to get out of the Transformers world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be interesting. I mean... I think setting Justin Lin into this science fiction universe and putting him into Star Trek, again, I understood the decision as to why, and I don't think he was miserable at it. I just think that it just needed a little bit more reining yeah. in, and they needed to re, they needed to, they needed to flesh out more, a little bit more of a story to predicate story over the action that he shot, because some of it really, from production design, uh, through the costuming and. Some of it actually really did look amazing on the big screen. And again, I saw this in 3D, and there were sequences that just... Stunning. Like, I was literally... Wow. I mean, the way he rolled the Enterprise certain ways, I just... I had never seen, and I was impressed. Mm -hmm. 
Well, Zoe Saldana describes him as hardworking, very dedicated, very professional, a lot of varies, very focused, and very <laughs> driven. <laughs> so that gave me a sense of security. That I am going to work, relax, and I felt myself in this director's hands because he knows where we're going. So I loved it when I can trust the director. In terms of him looking after the emotional beats and the arcs of each character, I was happy and proud when he got the job because he's a director I've been rooting for for a while and I've always felt he had a lot more in him and I am happy that Star Trek gave him another layer of sense of direction that he shared with us mm. okay. so that's from Zoe there you go yeah. um, glowing words now I know now here's the has it been I know they've already greenlit the next movie mm-hmm. and they've already yeah. like the other big thing that they've announced is that in one way shape or form they're bringing Chris Hemsworth back uh, um, yeah. but have they announced the director not, not to my knowledge. Yeah. I haven't heard. yeah, I haven't heard anything about that yet. So it's going to be interesting if he wants to continue uh, in Star Trek or whether JGA susses out somebody else. Yeah. I hope he susses you know. somebody else. He at least kept, you know, that was another thing. Like, J.J. made his stamp in the Star Trek universe mm-hmm. by making, I think, two extremely solid, entertaining Star Trek movies, mm-hmm. but two words... Lens flare. Yeah. And there was a little bit of lens flare in this movie. I go, that's the homage yeah. to JJ. Yeah, it's like, that's awesome. In the open. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was like, oh, great. Look at that. Lens we got more lens flares. Got to have it. Yeah. Got to have it. No, I never understood it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't no, either. But I was like, like oh, we're going to do that through the whole thing? Lens flare. That's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's great. <laughs> no, Thank for me. They didn't. So. I have freaking lens flare. You know, I, <laughs> it's the laziness. I love. I don't know. Mm-hmm. For me, it it, it, it distinguished it. It put a stamp on his Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. But again, he was very innovative too. And and I've yet to, uh, you know, we're talking about special effects. I know that they, they they took a lot of time and care. But but JJ used some pretty simple things yeah. like that skydive in the first yeah. Star Trek movie. He just had He's his standing actor standing a mirror. in a mirror yeah, with great. the camera up above, and they're looking up. And yeah, we like, don't know any difference. It looks great. <laughs> That's awesome. That's practical. Shaking the camera. camera, There you go. Which is is what they did in the original show all the time. (laughs) Just shake that every time the If it works, it works. Yeah, if it works, it works. Yeah, you know, uh, I agree. Well, a lot of the crew that that worked on this was familiar with Justin Lin. Yeah. I mean, from cinematographers to to editing. Um, So, you know, every one of these people pretty much on their resume. Everything fast or furious. <laughs> yeah. And they just switch it up depending on the next movie. Right. And it was interesting, too, because I, I found a really great article about the, the editors on the film who had worked with Justin Lin before. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, he it's it was very fascinating to know what they're looking for right from pre-viz. Mm-hmm. And then, like, having that communication and what Justin Lin is looking for they are their own little enterprise crew um, you know and then having to work with visual effects and and how are we compositing how are we going to put together a scene that's done on green screen and I, I just found that whole journey of editing this movie and then having to separate either going to Vancouver and how you're doing your dailies and you're you're looking all together and just trying to cut this movie and pace it in a way, you know. I mean, I found this to be very fascinating uh, work to do. Given, and I wonder, is three editors the norm, or is it because you have 
such less time, you need three people to work together to yeah, try to. Put I think it it's part of that. I mean, yeah, the interesting was. part was too. Um, there's an article that came out of like, there's going to be no deleted scenes, no bonus scenes, and the simple truth of that is they didn't shoot anything. Yeah, <laughs> they only shot what they needed um, because they didn't have time to do anything else. Yeah. Um, so in a way, that's beneficial to the editors. Yeah, yeah, I never believed that though. I mean, there, there seemed to be scenes that there could have been something else or another line of dialogue here. Um, it just, I don't know. I, I never believe when they, I, I, I rarely know of a film that doesn't have some semblance of something that was deleted or like there's always an editor's like baby. Mm-hmm. Like what, what did you have to cut out that you really wanted in that movie? That you had to cut out for either time or at the end of the day, logically, it just it could no. work. The movie could work without it and and be as succinct. Yeah, what was, I, th- I think did we talk about it on Ghostbusters how the original cut was like over four hours? Oh Jesus! I forget. I forget what movie we talked about, but that, there there was a yeah. movie that was over four yeah, hours. Yeah, I, I remember talking. About um, and but. You know, I, I go back to our friend John Ottman. Um, you know, he's again. It, it would be curious to see what the rough cuts are um, for. Like, if somebody else was to do um, an apocalypse, what that would look like? Um, because you know, as, as John Ottman puts it, it's very the way he cuts it. He needs to have it be as tight as possible right sure. from the get go. Yeah, because it's to his benefit. If he if if if, if apocalypse was like three hours long. And he knew he needed to cut out like 40, 50 minutes. It wouldn't do him any benefit. Yeah. And, so well, and plus, being that he has other duties, he has to make sure that the movie can be as tight as possible. So once he's, he can go on to scoring, like he, he has to put all the red alerts. He has to make sure there are no red alerts ahead of time, so to speak. But, you know, it was it, that was a great conversation because he talked about two scenes that were shot not shown in the movie, it would be interesting to know what these people, like Justin Lin or, or the editors, had to have had a scene and or shot that they wanted in, but they just couldn't use mm-hmm. for some reason. Yeah, and I, I would be interested to see how the rough, like the timing of the rough cut, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, but it, it, if it was as tight as possible, then kudos to them, you know, and, and ultimately my, my message is if, if you're editing a movie... Kill your, kill your babies before they you even have a chance <laughs> to grow. <laughs> yeah, into an idea. No, because yeah. it's so much easier to cut it out yeah, beforehand. It like is. once people start seeing it in the they movie, they're like, it. "Oh, we can't cut yeah, that out." Know. So yeah, and, and then it changes everything. And yeah, just be like, "Wasn't there a scene?" No, there no, wasn't a that, scene. That, we don't have. That, no, what that. are you talking about? No, it was in the script, but you guys never shot it. Yeah. you don't want to <laughs> shoot it. Well, yeah. You know, I can add a little bit of background uh, in this interview. Again, if it's on our notes, you'll be able to check this out because it really it's a very in-depth uh, look into editing Star Trek Beyond. But something that was asked was, uh, can you think of a specific example of, of, a, of a story moment over an editing moment, which is what we've been talking about mm-hmm. a lot of, right? Mm-hmm. And Highsmith, one of the other examples, says, you know, a, a specific example I was discussing uh, was a great one shot of Kirk in the takedown sequence. We really needed to clock in with Kirk at a key emotional beat in the scene. I think we all decided that instead of preserving preserving the integrity of the three hundred the three sixty shot, it was better to cut it in two so we could take the first half and move it 
earlier where we needed it to clock him for the emotional beat. And then we could come back and use the tail of it later for the kinetic energy. Mm. So they had this 360-degree shot. We're going to cut it. We're going to use part of it over here, part of it over there. You know, and then we had, we hit an emotional beat and an action beat at the same time. I find that very, I find that stuff very fascinating. Um, you know, into that question of do you choose what's your editing moment over story moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, in terms of this is both a um, editing thing, but also a visual effects thing. Uh, the, the the ships, right? The swarm. Mm. That was a quarter of a million ships that they had to Whoa. create. What? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they they started, okay, so they experimented early on, and Peter Chang, um, you know, they started uh, with 2,000 ships, and then they doubled right. it to 4,000 ships. And they got it, all the way to a quarter million. They just, yeah, wow. that's what needed to end up. It's a lot of ships. Wow. It is a lot it's of ships. It's a lot of ships. Here's my, here's my Star Trek geek question, because much was made mention of these ships, right? Mm-hmm. A, 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 um, a hive-like mentality. yeah. yeah. Drunk. Were these were these precursors to the Borg? Interesting. Um, and Interesting. you know, boy, wouldn't the next gen crew would have loved to have had the Beastie Boys around to disrupt this like mentality of the yeah. Borg? But yeah. all I kept on thinking was, here we have this captain who's gone through this significant change, and he has all these drone type ships that he can control, like like a hive like swarm, yeah. looking to. Forget about diversity. Mm-hmm. I'm. I can be supreme being. I was like thinking, huh? Could this be a little bit of a genesis of the Borg? Mm-hmm. But that's just my Star Trek mm-hmm. geekdom. It doesn't impact whether you know what the hell a Borg is. No. <laughs> it doesn't. But no, it's, I a, just it's a good throw connection. It it's interesting. It's all yeah. I kept on thinking with hive-like mentality. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I agree. Um, and this was this was one of the first movies that was also shot. Um, Using a lot of locate, like they were in Vancouver primarily and yep. whatnot. So Dubai, Dubai, uh, Dubai was was the inspiration for Yorktown. Yorktown yeah, you know. They, they, and by the way, um, someone described it pretty well. It, you know how JJ's camera just moves every which way. Yeah, it's like someone took that idea and that's what created Yorktown. <laughs> just ah, the, the, the yeah. idea that there's no up or down. Right, it just is. Yeah. Uh, I did like Yorktown a lot. I did tell it was Yorktown, very, it was yeah. odd and confusing at first. I was like, what? Whoa, this is... How do you say... That it, it, it was like almost an... You know the paintings that... Escher. Are, an Escher. Escher. An Escher yeah, it was an Escher painting, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was... I thought it was interesting. Very visually uh, stimulating because it was just, what am I looking well, at? I thought it was... Okay, it, it was amazing to me because, again... We've got these amazing scenes of the Enterprise going into this oh, yeah, and tube, yeah, like this, this launch underwater. Bay. Like, what is this? I was like that. I was like, and it was yeah. small. Yeah, yeah. It, gave you that yeah scale. It, was, it was small, was and like, I was like, what? wow. And and again, I'm thinking, the Yorktown is is one of those ships. It was a ship. It was a Constitution class uh, ship from the uh, from the original series in which mm-hmm. I believe a captain went a little bit nuts but in here but they another don't trope they. Let's yeah, be they don't um, uh, but but another Star Trek trope is the Enterprise goes to uh, you know they go to various space stations mm-hmm. so having a Yorktown space station yeah. out there 
you know, I mean, you need these space stations for the starships to go yeah. and refuel, fix exactly. up, do whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually thought it was a sort of kind of a pretty cool. It was almost like a, 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 a respite. It was a bit of shore yeah. leave yeah. for yeah. our crew. I thought it was great. Which, Speaking are we of respites, talk- uh, John is off no. to exactly. another mission. That's so right. we're going to let him <laughs> yeah. do uh, oh, no, any man. final thoughts that John oh, wants to get. Uh, oh, final thoughts. I think fans, have, uh, for the most part, will enjoy this. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm certain. I mean, first of all, I'm a fan, of, and I'm glad they made it. And I'm and I'm can't wait to see the next one. I wish this one was, had uh, done better in terms of its uh, structure and story. Nah. But I'm glad. That I I like that they keep putting them out there because I Fair like enough. these characters. I want to see them. And I'm what's your next anatomy that you're going to be doing with I'm us? Doing born next week. Now, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we I say know. goodbye to John Comerford, but Dimitri and I continue Comerford on. Comerford out. Comerford out. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. All right. Well, I wanted to let, let's talk about something else that uh, I want to talk about something else, and it's, it's it's a key part in the Yorktown scene that made a bunch of hoopla, bunch of hoopla before this movie came out. Because in the Yorktown scene, we see that. Oh, you going to to the gay? Scene? Yes. Okay. That, that, that's were you going to go there later? I mean, I, I just mean, figured since we're talking sure, Yorktown, might as well. Uh, you know, I mean, to K went. And said that this was not the vision um, of the creator, um, but do I? But he is gay, so that's what they were nodding to. I don't have a problem no, with it. Again, to me, it's a non-issue. I, I, I could really care less, but it's interesting how this all precipitated to me because I think it, it almost seems like they wanted to do it. Let, let's let's have our first. You know, gay character, you know, in Star Trek in this timeline. Okay, I get it. Fine. And they were trying to be cool with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, if we're going to do it, why don't we pick Sulu? Because the guy that plays Sulu, you know, is openly gay. That'll be sort of cool. And he'll probably really dig it. And boy, howdy, they were like a little bit wrong. And yeah. by a little, they were like a lot wrong. It's like, it's like they didn't do their due diligence. Like again, I don't mind that a character is, but I understood. I understood both sides of the story, and what ended up happening is it became bigger than the scene that's in the movie. It yeah. became this story that to me is just a who cares? Like it's a non-entity. But then you have George Takei who was like, "Well, I'm disappointed because that's not the way I played Sulu as a straight man." That's you know he had a whole background and I get it because even in movies like Generation, there's a great line and it goes back to Captain Kirk, you know, and his feeling of what have I done outside of my life outside of being a captain? What have I done in my life? You know, he's on the bridge of the ship and it's being it's being uh, you know helmed by a Sulu and he goes to Scott. He's like, when did Sulu have time to have a daughter? You know, and it's Scott. He's like. He found the time to have a family. And again, it not that you can't have a daughter as a gay couple, but they never set it up that way. And I get what George Takei was saying. Mm-hmm. So I understood that, the integrity of what Gene Roddenberry wanted. On the other hand, I understand what Simon Pegg was going for, but it wouldn't, like, just introduce a new crew member or whatever. A lot of hullabaloo ended up coming out of this, this back and forth, this back and forth, that when you see the scene... It's like the scene's ten seven, not even ten seconds. It's yeah. nothing, and it ain't a big deal. And it shouldn't have been a big reveal because at the end of the day, 
who cares? <laughs> you know? I mean, if nothing else, so it does kind of... You can argue that there's a greater uh, nod to that it speaks to diversity, which, what I mean, for a, sh- th- for a show like Star Trek to have done... I mean, that was its biggest compliment, was the amount Absolutely. of diversity. Absolutely. So, you know, does that trump what Takei is saying? I don't know. He's still Asian. You know, I mean, bottom line is, you know, Takei was there as an, you know, and he always says, as an Asian being on the ship of this flagship Starfleet spaceship that does interplanetary exploration and adventure, and I'm an Asian on this. When you look at the bridge of the Enterprise, you had an African-American, a Scottish person as your engineer. You had a Russian at a time when Russians really weren't, like, there was a little bit of a Cold War going on. Uh, they, they weren't looked too keenly. You had a Russian as 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 a navigator. You had an Asian person as your helmsman. The diversity on that bridge alone. And then you had an alien as your second in command and who is your prime science officer. You know, the diversity in Star Trek in the 60s, people while watching it, may have overlooked it because it's a television show but what it did for diversity in science fiction and in television still you can feel the effects today by making sulu gay i get it and star trek is about diversity and that is another theme that they tried to put in this movie like your diversity gets you nowhere no diversity got star trek 50 years of fandom 50 years of being loved and it's because of its diversity, in, in, a, in a sense. So, there you go. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, you didn't care, right? I mean... I, to be honest, I didn't even know. I thought that was like a friend or something. Like, I mean, <laughs> no, because it wasn't... They had, they, they had more... That was one of the things that they cut down a bit on because they, I think they had more... Like, they could have had a kiss or whatnot. I forget the full story. Um, but I think the studio made him cut it down a lot. And so, it, again, yeah, I, I might have bl- turned. It was just so quick. It's so quick. And to me, it was more about Spock, or not Spock, it was more about uh, Kirk looking at him and being like, oh, he ha- these are all He's the things I don't life. have. These are the things I don't have. You know, that's what it was about to me. <laughs> it, same here. And you know what? Had, it, had this not gotten blown up to what it is. Uh, it would have been an afterthought. It would have been, wait, wait, what is Sulu doing? And then it could have been explored. To me, I felt that it was sort of sad that that news came out before the movie hit. Because I really think it took away. I, I do. I, I think it's a non-issue that ended up taking away from the release of the movie. I don't think it impacted gross or anything. But the focus of marketing and the focus of releasing this movie should have been we've gone beyond to give you fans and to give movie going audiences the best 50th anniversary movie that we could share with you and then you bring up this whole gay thing and it sort of it just took away from the movie itself and that to me was sad it was very sad yes indeed um let's uh you know in in terms of right so we're kind of we took a tangent because we were talking about Yorktown. Um, Victor Martinez is the um, – he was the concept design artist. Yeah. Um, and he made so many designs <laughs> that never ended up kind of uh, you know on screen. And I, I don't know how he got the permission for this or he, he got permission for this, but he put them on his Facebook page. 
Um, so you can definitely check them out. We we have a couple of them um, here. And again, if 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 you're listening on audio, just in the rundown, there's a link to it so you can kind of see it. But um, there's various images. So th- there's one um, that apparently didn't make the movie. Right. Um, what other ones do we have, Marissa? Um, I don't know. You just you know what the hell these things no, are. No, I mean no these idea. look like the you know, <laughs> these right there. I mean I can't see that really up close, but look at that of the planet. Which yeah, is very bright. And it's, yeah. again, it, well, we're gonna have to cut out the word again from our vocabulary. One of the fans said, and we will. But <laughs> what's go, that Marissa, word? Marissa, go back to the to the planet. Right. So earlier on in the episode, uh, there was the notion that that Star Trek wasn't bright enough. And this image encompasses. I, if this isn't bright enough, and uh, then right. I don't know what is. Yeah, it's bright. So. It, a lot of this reminds me of um, some of the older, uh, in a, thematically from like the Ralph McQuarrie art from mm-hmm. Star Wars. Yeah, you know, he was doing a lot of conception, a lot of conceptual design work that. It, when you look at his works and what ended up on the screen, sometimes it's 100% different. And in fact, Macquarie was also hired to do some artwork and conceptual art for Star Trek The Motion Picture. I have a poster of the Macquarie Enterprise that he did. And, you know, that's what concept art is. You give your director, you give your crew a lot of bunch of a, t- a ton of great ideas. You know, some of them could be great, but they end up getting jettisoned. Uh, I just say you put it in a book because yeah. I love great concept art because you really get the genesis of what you're thi- like, what was being discussed and how that picture ends up on screen. So you can see almost like the changes, the evolution mm-hmm. of what it becomes to fill up the big IMAX 3D screen of yours when you go see the movie. I love concept art like that. Yeah. yeah. One, one of the things I absolutely loved in the movie was uh, the hiding of the ship. Mm-hmm. The invisibility shield, yeah, and the way they made that work, where because it, it wasn't your typical like, you know, it's just gone. We've seen that before, right. and we've seen the invisibility cloak from Harry Potter. Sure, but th- th- this was it had an element of imperfection where yeah. you step on it in the wrong. Like if you kind of look at it, you can see it, but, yeah. but then not. Nah, yeah, uh, I really enjoyed. Yeah, that. Yeah, it's not exactly worked out cloaking technology, but okay. yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, that, that was it was. Really... Yeah, it was the shimmer effect and how, you know, that technology that was used for the motorcycle chase uh, mm-hmm. and such. Um, you know, it was cool. Uh, you know, we didn't talk about. We were talking about our prime characters or our main characters, but for me, one of the breath of fresh airs in this movie was that character of Jaya. Yeah. You know, I really loved this character and I was she's modeled after Jennifer Lawrence is she modeled after Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> let me read the quote yeah let's read that quote because that's awesome All I right. didn't know that Simon Pegg uh, revealed in a press conference that the character of Jayla was inspired by Jennifer Jayla. Lawrence uh, from Winter's Bone we were trying to create this very independent character but we didn't have a name for it so we called it Jennifer Lawrence and Winter's Bone that was a long <laughs> name but, uh, so it started getting tiring, oh, no. always saying Jennifer Lawrence and Winter's Bone is fighting here. So then we started calling her J-Law. J-Law. And then, then she became J-Law. J-Law. That's very funny. <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> the, uh, the actress that portrayed her, and I, can't, I can never get her name right, um, but she was Sophie, from Kingsman. Sophie Butera? Butea. Butea. She was great in Kingsman. And yes, she's she's underneath a ton of makeup, but yet she was... She did not get hidden under that makeup 
at all. No, she has attitude. The way the way she sits in the captain's chair oh. with the leg, just so much attitude, but, and you, you get it. <laughs> she was great. She, and again, she has her own Kirk moment in, instead of like where, where Kirk would say, what are you doing with my ship? Get off. And she, she was like, what are you doing with my house? <laughs> what are you doing? She, I thought she was a wonderful breath of fresh air. Great female, strong character. And at the end, again, they have that Star Trek, little Star Trek moment where Kirk, of course, would say, hey, I got you. And, you know. Starfleet Academy, Starfleet needs people like you. I, I got you in, you know, and and it would be I think she would be a welcome addition to the crew of, of this enterprise if she were in one way, shape or form to come back. You know, I thought she, that she would be she would fit in just great. You know, so she's a good character. Good character. I agree. Uh, one of the final things before we move on to numbers and things like that, let, let's talk about the the nod at the end. Uh-huh. Um, they did uh, reshoot that uh, very slightly. It's not like it needed a lot of reshoots, but uh, and I forget the exact quote. But to, to friends here and remembered or something like that, and obviously a nod to what just happened recently with Anton to absent friends to absent friends to absent friends, and also a, a reference to uh, you know it's that that's been a common Star Trek. Wrath of Khan is is one in which they toast. Oh, okay, Star Trek Three, actually. My apologies. It was the search for Spock to absent friends. They uh, Kirk and McCoy uh, and the crew have have a toast, if I remember correctly. Um, very, you know, a very subtle nod, uh, but but again, it hits home uh, because he's still there. You know, he's in the movie. Anton, we're referring to Anton Yelchin. Um, it's such a stupid, horrible tragedy, an accident that happened, and he made that role his own, you know, and 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 uh, he did such a good job that, you know, when you look at Koenig's performance of Chekhov, and and these people, that that's what this crew, these actors, really did a good job of not playing caricature to the actual people that created these characters, because then you would have had a spoof, you know, then then you could have had Galaxy Quest. You know, which Galaxy Quest was great, but do you want that to continue and continue? Yes, I want Gal. I wouldn't mind seeing another Galaxy Quest movie, but I don't. I don't want to see Star Trek spoofing Star Trek. And these people, including Anton, did such a magnificent job, and they they reined it in so that they were they own the characters. They made the characters themselves. J.J. Abrams has come out and said that they're not going to recast the role, which I find to be very respectful. Um, I think it's a great nod to Anton Yelchin and, and even to the franchise. You know, I don't know wh- how they will explain it, but I Maybe they I, I won't. Was, just like with yeah. uh, what was her name with, again? With Carol Marcus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's just one day he just didn't show up to work. Um, maybe they'll have Jayla come in and, and take over. I mean, I don't know. Um, they could put him on another ship. And, and to be fair, that could work because. Uh, you know, she was good. They hung out together a lot. Yeah. They hung out together, but remember, Scotty's doing the the music. Yeah, and he can't he can't do it. And then she's like, "Let me do it." And then she, boom, told you it was easy. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, but I found I found the entire thing to be very respectful to not only Anton Yelchin but to the to, to the passing of Leonard Nimoy, who was very integral in the first two movies as well. And he couldn't have been Leonard Nimoy without knowing the man. But just from what I read, he seemed to be very proud to be part of the J.J. Abrams' vision of Star Trek and to be asked to come on board. 
Um, and he was used greatly and, and, and he was integral to it. I, I enjoyed what Spock Prime did. I, I really enjoyed I enjoyed that scene and it was in a sense emotional, but it was handled with respect. And again, it wasn't the thing that beat you over the head. Uh, I just felt it was very nice. And the four Anton at the end was nice. Very it was nice. nice. Uh, so let's talk about music as well. We, we, we touched upon it a little bit, but Michael uh, Giancchino, he returns to do the score. So that, that through, through line um, is always good to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of gave him his, his two props a little bit, but um, of a fantastic, you know, I mean, he's, there's a lot of great composers out there. And he yeah. is certainly one of them. Yeah. You know, right now I, I look at, to me, in my opinion, my top three Gene Kinos there. You know, our good friend John Ottman has, you know, has to be there. You know, and then a gen- another gentleman right now, Alexander Desplat, I think is a really solid composer. I think in this movie, Star Trek Beyond, you know, he's obviously pulling from Alexander Courage, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, and then there's a whole lot of Giacchino going on in there. You know, he makes it his own. He and Justin Lin talked, you know, with Justin Lin taking over the reins. You know, you wonder, are you going to keep the same thing? But the one thing that they completely 100% agreed on is that they got to keep the theme. They got to keep the theme that Gene Kino through the J.J. Abrams movies um, um, created around the Alexander Courage theme. And couldn't agree with them more. I've listened to the score on its own. Uh, It's a good score. It's a really solid score. Um, I didn't find while watching the movie that it took away from the action. There's so much action in this movie. Sometimes score can score feels like it has to overpower what's going on screen because there's so much happening. But I didn't find it to be in this movie. And as listening it isolated, like in my car at home, I find the score to be really good. Of the three scores that that are, you know, Star Trek, Into Darkness, and this one, to me, my favorite thus far is still Into Darkness. But this one was, uh, this one's pretty good. This one's a good score. What 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 were your thoughts? Um, You know, um, for me, it worked. I I, I don't listen to, you know, I always judge score by kind of what's in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the action scenes, there's a lot kind of going on. And, And in a way, on this one, Right, the, part of the reason why I didn't notice the score as much it, it was trumped by the songs between Public Enemy, Fight the Power, and then the Beastie Boys. You know, I mean, at that point, and Rihanna, and Rihanna. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, 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 those just kind of because a movie like this, you know, Star Trek isn't. You know, it's, it's not really supposed to be pop culture. It's not supposed to have those moments, right. but because they did and. For me, Public Enemy is, holds a special place, and that that right. was there. And then, just you know, the third act hinges upon the Beastie Boys. Right. So it, it, it musically, it's very different. Yes. Yeah. And um, and so it, I treated it, you know I treated those in a different way, and I, I didn't quite notice the score in the way that perhaps I should have. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I I neglected to mention. Shame on me. I mean, you know, all of these people, Gene Kino, Ottman, Jerry. Well, Jerry Goldsmith has had a major history in film, but, you know, the the king of scoredom, John Williams. Uh, But what I love about the three gentlemen that I mentioned was they still adhere to orchestration. 
and bringing out the full orchestration. Giancchino is great at working out percussion when needed and using, like, you know, he and will... And there's some choral, too, right? Choral, yeah, and and uh, and we had that with, with, with Ottman's score for X-Men Apocalypse, where he used choir. And um, But Star Trek has used choir since day one. The opening <laughs> song to Star Trek, the woman sing the operatic... Uh, you know, is, is Star Trek. And that's the great thing. Of, that's another great thing about Star Trek television in the 60s is that they used orchestral score and they had scoresmen come in and, and whether it be Alexander Courage, there was a whole litany of people that Star Trek used. Um, but the background music was all orchestra. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't find as much of that today. It's expensive. But when it translates into a big movie, and you're using a full-on orchestra, and you're creating these deep, rich themes, they should only enhance the action. They should never overtake the action. Uh, I didn't find that it overtook the action in Star Trek Beyond uh, at all. So, you know, Gene Kino keeps on doing what he's doing. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to see more from him. Obviously, he's uh, he's going to have a good career. I think so. <laughs> I think he'll so. be good. All right, so let's talk about box office. Uh I have, uh, we were going to do this a little bit earlier in the week, but we pushed it back, so I might have a little bit old numbers. Um, in terms of what I had, uh, at least, it was always projected to be between 50 and 60 million its opening weekend, and it made 59.3. 59. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Not too shabby. Hitting that third mark. Yep. Uh, uh, and you have the updated numbers as of. Or as well, updated as they were, right? Being where we are today, um, yeah, we could. Uh, I can today's find, Sunday, today's the second week. Sunday, of its Sunday's running. the second week, and we could. Um, let's see. I believe it had a very modest, like its drop wasn't 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 huge. Uh, let's take a look. I can get a. I can get a, a today's top ten, and we'll just focus in on Star Trek. Um, we're looking at. Hold on, we got. Uh, as you're talking about that, I'll talk about Rotten Tomatoes. So just let me know when you're ready. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, when I checked it, 84% out of 201 reviews. So, you know, n- not too shabby. It says Star Trek Beyond continues the franchise post-reboot hot streak with an epic sci-fi adventure that honors the series sci-fi roots without skimping on the blockbuster action. Yeah. So uh, for this weekend, you know, we have uh, – it did $24 million. It was off 60%, which um, – Right in there for that genre type of of uh, of, of a drop, you know. Plus, it has competition. I mean, uh, Jason Bourne just Jason, came out, right? And so, but all in total, cum uh, one hundred and five mil. Uh, you know, not too shabby. Um, you know, and again though, I just go back marketing. You know, it could have been it could have been bigger. It could have been more um, had their marketing just. Just given it the attention that Star Trek deserves for for an entity that's been around for fifty years, and this is an entity. To be fair, I think I've seen more Jason Bourne promos than Star Trek. See, and like I shouldn't have seen more Teenage Mutant Ninja promos, like everywhere. Like if you want to do it on Nick at Night or in Disney Cartoon Network, whatever. But I remember when Skyfall came out, I saw James Bond everywhere. Every, there was no mistake in that this was the 50th anniversary of, of, of James Bond and Skyfall. And they put together this great marketing campaign. Um, and this movie, I just felt, just sort of kind of got 
not put on a shelf, but it didn't, you know, it didn't hit anybody hard with that first trailer. And then it went quiet for like the longest of times. And just going back to not having a 50th anniversary Delta Shield logo on a poster, not, I mean, this is an achievement, folks. I mean, your Star Trek fans or your science fiction fans, Star Trek was a failed show after its third season. And to be talking, I mean, I'm so, it's so crazy to me that I can be talking about Star Trek 50 years later and that it's still relevant today. And yes, maybe it's not what Star Wars is, but the thing with Star Trek that separates it from Star, from Star Wars is Star Wars is easy. Star Wars, you have seven movies. That's all you really need to see, okay? Star Trek, on the other hand, which started off on TV... Produced by Lucille Ball, of all people, we have episodes and episodes of television that some people are like, I can't watch that all. That's a lot of episodes. You don't need to. You can watch the movies, but there are well over 10 movies within the Star Trek franchise, and they continue to go beyond. To me, that's an amazing feat all in of its own, equally as amazing as James Bond turning 50. Um and Paramount just didn't, they did not stick the landing at all. This movie deserved a heck of a lot more. And they could have gotten a better number because you had a good weekend. It's summer. You know, you, you, they had it all. They had everything going for them. They just never utilized it. Shame. Mm-hmm. Too bad. Well, audiences like, I mean, they got an A minus on cinema score. Right. So it's, you know, between between Rotten Tomatoes, so critics and, and, and everyone, it's, it's really high up there. Um, it had, it, you know, so, and that's the thing, like, it, it was always a good movie, and, 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 you know, Simon Pegg, going back to when, when we first kind of opened up, but in terms of the promotion, yeah, he, the fact that he was that disappointed over the trailer, and, you know, I think, I, I think, at least for me, Simon Pegg has earned the right, to be honest, like, I believe, it, like, if he says that this is a better movie than what the marketing was saying, then I did believe him, yeah. because I don't, I, you know, I don't think he's... Again, I don't know him personally, but it's not like he's lied to me in any way, shape, or form. And I do enjoy him um, and his movies, and so I, I, I got behind that. Um, and it is one of those things, like, yeah, uh, marketing and the people that are actually creatively involved in the movie are two separate things, mm-hmm. oftentimes. No, they they absolutely are. And and again, when Simon Pegg, and you're right, Simon Pegg, he gets my respect. You know, if like if he's gonna say something. Paramount has to mitigate that, but they should have mitigated it before they released that trailer. And not that they need to have brought, not that they needed to have brought Simon Pegg in on the creative decision as to what the trailer was going to look like, but they should have, they should have put something there and they didn't even have a poster. Again, that's another thing. They didn't even have a freaking poster when the trailer came out. And you know, the key art, I think, for Beyond has been fantastic. I personally really enjoy I like. I think they've done a great job at all the various key arts. Like I said, my favorite is the throwback to the Star Trek The Motion Picture poster. But it was little too late. You're blasting an audience and then you're changing concepts and people can't latch on to that. This really should have been given. You should have had... Like, if it were me, and what do I know? But I would have started a year out with just black poster, the Delta Shield 50th anniversary coming next summer. 
That's it. That and that should have been out when Star Wars was in theaters. That poster should have been up, so that people know. Oh, you know, and that, that's less than you. you. They should have timed this out to commemorate, you know, the fiftieth anniversary, which is uh, in September. Um, I don't know. They just missed the opportunity. And when I'm at a place like Comic Con, I was looking at. I'm thinking like, what? amazing merchandise could there potentially be for star trek it's the 50th anniversary and jj abrams has complained about this too their merchandising is just it's not there it's like i can buy star wars stuff anywhere uh, you okay. get 12 different versions of the lights lights right and jeez uh, you go to disneyland or disney world you can buy whatever it's star wars star wars star wars you can go to jc penny and star wars star wars they're not putting they're not putting their efforts behind their marketing. And I think from a merchandise perspective, yes, this communicator is really cool, but it took 50 years to have it. You know, Bluetooth technology has been around. you got to do more than that. People will buy shirts. They'll buy artwork. They'll buy the ships. They do, but just you got to get them out there. And I'm at Comic-Con and I had to like, I'm looking around going from booth to booth. I went to this one booth, which I bought a couple of books from. I'm not going to name their name because I'm going to say something that wasn't, that's not too cool. But they had a, they had an enterprise, like a vinyl enterprise. It looked really cool. I was about to shell 15 bucks out for, for this vinyl enterprise. And then they showed me the the, the actual thing and it looked cool. It, it didn't come with a stand. I said, how does this Stand up. I go, does it come with the stand? They're like, no. Like, well, what do I put it on? Like, it's going to be flopped over inside. Like, what do I do with it? Like, if I can't display it in a proper way, how do you make a ship that doesn't have a stand? Huh? That's the kind of thing that, that was annoying me. And, and again, Paramount CBS, guys, you're, you're blowing it. Like, you have rabid fans out there. We're on the eve of the 50th anniversary convention taking place in Las Vegas. Our friends from Creation throwing this. You know, I, I sure as hell hope that they have amazing merchandise to sell for the fans. That Because we're, we, you know, we love Star Wars too. But the reason why they're winning in that thing is because there's more of it out there for me to buy. And so much less, sadly, of Star Trek stuff. Well, the good news out of it is that Paramount announced that uh, that Payne and McKay will write the next installment. And there is, as we said, an, another installment. Uh, Pine and Quinto have signed on to return to Spock and Kirk. Uh, and there will be a fourth with Chris Hemsworth as yeah. Kirk's father. That's yeah. uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, that's a little bit of a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in many ways. What but, are, you, are they doing? Are they finally getting around to doing their time travel episode? Another popular trope in Star Trek universe. You know, mm-hmm. are we going to slingshot around the sun? Or you, you know, um, it'll be interesting. They need to get Carl Urban back. They need to get that core crew back. You know, Carl Urban as McCoy, like fr- from from the 2009 movie. From the moment he showed up on screen, you just go, "Oh my God, he's Leonard McCoy." <laughs> he's he's the Forrest Kelly. He's amazing, you know. And everybody else, like you know, Kirk Swagger, you know, comes at the end of that movie. Um, but that cast is just so great together. I think they do a wonderful job. You got to keep them together uh, for as long as you can. 
Uh, you can't swap these people out because I think they've come to a point where they've owned these roles. And that's part of the, a good part of the reason why people will continue to see these reboot movies um, and beyond, <laughs> dare I say. There you go. We'll leave you off on that note. Uh, I know there's plenty of more stuff that we could have talked about, but such is life. Um, hence why there was a comment section invite, uh, in, in, invented, so you can comment. Uh, let us know other thoughts, opinions. Um, disagree with us, agree with us, but let us know why. Also post questions, anything like that. Or uh, one of the coolest things is I like when you guys find stuff that we didn't find and we get to talk about that. Uh, that's why I love anatomy. We get to discuss these things. We get to go beyond the movie. Absolutely, and I, and I have to say to the people that watch us too, whether they're whether it's a positive or a negative comment, for the most part lately, you guys have been on point. And so, like, if it's something that we missed, you guys have been keen on saying it, and you've done it in a respectful way. Please keep that up. Uh, we do pay attention. We read. I know. I, I know I do. Read all this stuff that you do. Put it in a you know. Be respectful, and I will respond back. Phil, I know you, you're a great responder as well. I try to as much as I can. Yeah, same here. Even if people are negative. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, just be cool about it, man. We're, we're talking movies. Yeah, That's it. And so. uh, we will have... Uh, we're, we're still in development on when we'll do the 50th for this and how we'll do it. So kind of stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll kind of we'll keep you updated as best we can on that and uh, we'll try to do something as special as possible Uh, one of the cool things is uh, Joe Braswell if you're if you're a historian of anatomy of a movie we've had Joe Braswell on before and he's a great uh, filmmaker in his own right and he's doing a 50th documentary for History Channel Um, no official it's coming out sometime in August nice Um, and he's very proud of it History Channel's very proud of it so definitely check that out I'll I'll update you guys on that Uh, D Movies and now it finally makes sense. D movies, seventeen oh one. Seventeen oh one. Yep. <laughs> um, that's that's Dimitri's Twitter, and I'm sure as soon as we have an, uh, more official things in terms of the fiftieth, he will be posting about that. And if you're living in the Los Angeles area and you see a white Rav Four with a license plate Trek Boy, beep and say and wave. Hey. <laughs> All right, and uh, we're The Popcorn Talk on Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. So thank you guys for joining us. Um, We'll see you on the next Anatomy of a Movie, which we'll be doing another sci-fi movie, Sharknado. We've got Jason Bourne. We've got Sausage Party. Most recently, we just did Lights Out, uh, Ghostbusters. Um, We'll do uh, War Dogs, and uh, there's plenty more. So thank you guys. We'll see you next time on Anatomy of a Movie. Long and prosper. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.